afternoon and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet and I'm here in the studio with Ron Landis and the late Patty Fink. Our guests today are State Representatives Julie Johnson and Jessica Gonzalez. Julie and Jessica both recently, last week, co-chaired the Texas State Democratic Convention. Uh, and that was a first, and we'll explain how many ways that was a first in. Um, I mean, EPJ got a 12 Trailblazer Award, but you guys should have gotten something for that. That was pretty cool. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. It looked like it was like you were having a lot of fun. Um, I do want to mention Jessica is featured in a current interview in The Advocate. Yes. And was recently named a USA Today Woman of the Year. That's right. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Total badass. <laughs> so uh, let's just start with how did you become chairs of the convention? Um, well, I think that you know the the traditional path is for the host city uh, to have uh, electeds that chair the convention, and when the folks at the TDP were looking at Dallas. Uh, they were kind of reflecting on the year that had happened, and the most significant event in democratic politics in Texas was when the House Democrats uh, broke quorum and went to D.C. So taking the opportunity to highlight the House Democrats, and obviously Jessica's significant role in that. And then um, I think also just taking the time to highlight you know the LGBT folks in the house and what our community's been under attack and so and Jessica and I are, are besties in the Texas Ledge and uh, they just seemed to make the decision that we were the clear choice to, to share the convention. <laughs> yeah when I got a phone call about it to see if I would consider doing it and I was like okay what does that entail um, and, and knew that it was going to be Julie and I I said well I'll do it only if Julie does it because it just seemed like a a, a, an adventure or a situation that I, I didn't want to have to do by myself, but you know, Julie and I were the JJ caucus, and so um, you know, the experience was was fun. We made it fun. Yeah, totally. Well, and, and a lot of people may not know this, but for for some time you've been roomies in Austin during the, when the sessions in in, in right. play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, it's fun. Uh, so yeah. you have this this tight relationship. Even though um, you're from the same county and everything, there is more to it than that. I thought it was for a completely different reason. I thought it was because the Republicans really welcomed log cabins so warmly that the Democrats had to show that, yeah, we, we put up with these two. Well, you know, the thing that's really an honor uh, for me and I, and I believe for Jess as well is that you know, it's the, this, it was the convention of many firsts. It was the first time that two women had chaired the convention. Really? It's the first time a state representative had chaired the convention. And I asked my friends at Victory Fund if they could verify, but they think it's the first time um, LGBT people have chaired any major oh, wow. state party convention in the country. Hmm. Really? That's so, amazing. Uh, we're not totally sure about that, but that was the general. Nobody could think of anybody else, you know. <laughs> so, huh, that that um, really does make it a big deal. Well, yeah, continue so to make that claim until you're proven wrong. There you go. So you know, it was a it was a really high honor for us, and um, I think that you know Jessica and I both 
have similar voices, um, but also different voices advocating in, the, in democratic politics uh, across different spectrums. And what we bring together uh, collectively really represents a lot of community interests that Democrats are fighting for. What, for those who don't know, why don't you want to tell what districts you, you cover? Uh, I'm from House District 104. Uh, that includes Dallas and the city of Grand Prairie on the Dallas County side. Okay. And I'm from House District 115, which is northwest Dallas County, which is Addison, Farmers Branch, Carrollton, Coppell, and Irving Valley Range. Oh, so yeah, totally opposite yes. districts. Well, yeah, we don't even we don't even border our each other. Yeah, you no. don't. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you have Terry Mesa in between you? In some parts of it, in Inchia and 114 and Morgan yeah. Meyer, there's a lot of people, a lot of districts between ours. Yeah, yeah. But you know, another the great thing about about us co-chairing the convention is that it did elevate our our presence in the state, our name ID, and so um, that's good for our community, especially since we know that we're going to have we're going to have a lot of fights, um, even more fights next session. Uh, and Julie and I will probably be the lead voices. And, and when you run IDs. against each other for governor. <laughs> or speaker. That could be when we when we retake the house. Whatever. <laughs> so you chaired the convention. What goes on at the convention? Because uh, I'm sure most people listening have never been to one uh, and don't know what goes on at a convention and what the purpose of it is. Well, it's you know it's the time when parties come together. Mm -hmm. And we do several things. You know, it's when you, um, in, the, we, in the presidential years, it's when we nominate, it's the process for nominating our presidential candidate as Democrats. In the state level, though, you know, Beto had already won, but it was a chance to highlight our state slate. Uh, we do a lot of party business there. We work on platform. We elect party officers. We elect SDEC members, the governance of the Texas Democratic Party. It's a chance for caucuses to come and get a lot of their businesses and delegates to come. Uh, and it's time to um, really synergistically come with our talking points. What are we fighting for? Educate people, fire up our base, and really come out of the convention with a springboard towards the general election. And did that work? Was it successful? Yeah, I believe so. People went home with energy, with uh, new ideas? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, people were fired up. You know, people understand that this election cycle is life or death for many people. You know, women and our ability to control our bodies, LGBT community, I mean, the Republicans have already shown um, by having very horrible attacks on the trans community this past session that they're going to try to eke out uh, Clarence Thomas's wish and come after gay marriage and, and LGBT equality in the next session. Uh, with gun violence and just the myriad of all the issues that we are all dealing with right now, I think uh, people came to the convention uh, ready to work and very happy that we have the strongest statewide slate that Democrats have had in a long time. And we have great state house candidates. We have great state senate candidates. We just have a great fielded bench across the board as Democrats. And, and people saw that at the convention. It was on display with all the different speakers mm -hmm. and everything that we all had to offer. And I think people came out of there 
ready to go. Yeah, you? I think so. And you know, and and aside from just right party business and the speeches, you know, it's also an opportunity. You know, there, there's several little receptions that people are having. Uh, and so, for for example, um, my wife organized a, a little reception that you know, Julie, we we were both there, and we were uh, we invited uh, some of the parents of trans kids. Um, and you know some other legislators that may be joining us in after November, but also our new um, LGBTQ members that are going to be uh, joining us in the Texas House and give them the opportunity to just you know to meet each other and say some words because they're the you know th these parents these families show up um, you know day after day uh, you know when we're when we're in session and so we wanted to make sure that you know they had the the opportunity to be able to to meet these new legislators um, and just talk tell us their story so. And we talked, um, we talked in the last two shows at least, about the incoming, the probable incoming increased um, Texas House LGBT caucus. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that, what that'll mean to have eight, uh, p potentially well, probably more. Eight, eight members? There's of a your potential caucus? of 12. 12? Really? There's a potential. There are uh, two or three, like um, Verlin, who was on our show a few weeks ago. Um, he has only token opposition, so he's going to win that race. You mean Venn? Uh, Venn. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm thinking of one Vin of the Jones. other. Venn <laughs> Jones. Um, and there are at least two others who are pretty much guaranteed election in their districts. But there are, others. there are four additional right. uh, LGBT people who are running across the state and one for Senate. Hmm. Well, I mean, I know Vinton Jones, uh, Jolanda uh, Jones from Houston, um, and then Christian Manuel, who is, who is from Beaumont. Right. Beaumont right. Area. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so we have two Jones, we're going to have two Jones and two Johnsons. Three Johnsons. Just, three Johnsons and two Gonzaleses. I mean, whoa. Oh, and the LGBTQ caucus. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Just guess, the LGBTQ yeah. caucus. That's right. That's right. And you know, two JJs. I know. So Jolanda Jones, Julie Johnson. I know. No. Yeah. yeah, Jolanda Jones, Julie Johnson. That's a mm. thing. Lots of J's going on. Uh, the, you know, the thing that's so interesting to me about uh, those three candidates in particular, uh, Venton from here in Dallas, who's taking Jasmine Crockett's seat, Jolanda Jones, who's um, in Houston, and then Christian Manuel from Beaumont, is that they're all three black. They're all out, and at, they are all going to be there in January. And so we're all expected, hopefully, you know, you're for sure coming back. I have a competitive race, but uh, we're doing what we're supposed to do to hopefully win again. But we should have eight seated LGBT members, which is so fascinating that on the one hand, we have this crazy conservative bent of, of people who seek to advance themselves politically on the backs of the LGBT community, who don't seek to understand, who seek to harm, who discriminate and are bigots. That, that trend, is that line of people is in the same state that is electing eight openly gay LGBT More than California. Members. More than, but that we're only surpassed, I, I asked Anise Parker at the Victory Fund, we're only surpassed by New Hampshire and Vermont as the number of out LGBT people in their state house. More than That's California. Amazing. More than is, California, right. Is so incredible. how is it that a state is electing, you know, on one hand that, but also the leading, um, one of the leading states in anti-LGBT 
thoughts and ideas and desires and legislative goals. So it's so we're we're at the crossroads of legislative policy for the LGBT community in Texas, and the LGBT caucus of the Texas House <laughs> is in the middle of it. You know, and we're uh, we are the front line stop because it's it's the leading. Um, effort in, this, in the country against our community and uh, so far last session we've been able to hold our own pretty well we were able to defeat how many bills were we able to kill last session 74 Wow that's amazing it is amazing and that's a tsunami that's a lot that's I mean, that's a tsunami of hate yeah yeah I haven't seen anything yet this coming session is going to be horrible. Well, it's only going to be horrible if Democrats don't vote. It won't be horrible if, if people go out and vote Democrat up and down the ballot and we elect Democrats. We have Beto O'Rourke as our governor and we elect, to your point, these other four LGBT people who are in marginal races who people aren't giving them credit for possible winning because the voter turnout hasn't been bad, hasn't been good. But if people go vote and we win, it won't be bad because they won't have the members there to file the stuff. This is so, this is so true. And, there, and to be all in the same chamber at the same time, that's going to that's gonna blow some minds. Um, I was chatting with um, Glenn Maxey at the convention, and he made the comment to me, he says, the Texas House of Representatives is not ready for Jolanda Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think a lot of the world is ready for Jolanda Jones. We have to have her on. <laughs> we do. And to have you all... All of you, real people with real life stories and real lives, interacting with them on a daily basis. I mean, how uh, that takes a lot of hate to to do what they want to do to legislate against somebody that you're working with side by side. That's right there yeah. with you, and that's that blows my mind that people can do that. It blows our mind too. And they turn, you know, turn around and want your want your support on one of their, you know, bills that they want to pass. You know, and it's just, it, 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 I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but. Well, you know, there's a there's always memes going around, and one that was recirculated to me again. We've seen it before, but it seems so point much more poignant to me now that, especially since I'm in the legislature. It's a rainbow background, and it says, don't tell someone you love them, and then vote for someone who will hurt them. And, you know, I, that really resonates to me, because, you know, you see people, and you see these friends who say, oh, I love you, or I'm so, or companies, oh, they have their LGBT group, and oh, look how, look how great, they have their little float in the pride parade. But then they're leading the the parade to go run, go vote Republican. Those messages mm -hmm. cannot coexist anymore. Or a state legislator, we won't mention any names, who tried to set you up, Jessica, with his sister. Oh. <laughs> this is before you were married. And then not only votes. Has, yeah, yeah. Not only votes against his sister, um, but proposes legislation that's going to hurt his own sister. Exactly. I mean, I know that, that you know, when... He, when cared, he cared enough about her to try to set her up on a date. Yeah. yeah it, 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 there's no logic to make out of that. There really isn't. It's, it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> a lot of what Republicans do doesn't make any sense. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And the extremism is um, in all caps and bolded, italicized and underlined this time. I mean, I, I'm really frightened about what they think they can get away with, even introducing the idea of it. You know what I mean? I, like, you know, what do they want to do? Like, put us all on an island? Um, After I mean, the break, let me talk go? about some of those things that they're proposing to do. Um, but just quickly before we take our break, do they come to you and say, I really don't want to vote for this, but I have to? I think it's more so us going to talk to them, and I mean, you know, and, and the best we can ask is that they walk the boat, right, or just, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, we, they, they will. There's a handful that, you know, did walk some of those votes, but, you know, they, they're so concerned with their primaries or getting primary, and that's all just like within the, the own Republican, um, you know, caucus or their people. Um, but yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll vote, if it's a party line vote, they're going to vote with their, with their party. Yeah, you know, I think to that point, it's a, it's a double-edged sword because there's, it's really hard because there's other issues that we have to work with these folks on mm -hmm. um, that they're willing to work with, work with us on, right, that will help millions of Texans. Like health, education, health. Ed, education, health care, lots of other things. And so, um, you know, but at the end of the day, when a member comes to me and says, I love you, Julie, but I'm going to vote against an LGBT community, I'm like, then you don't love me. No, no, don't, don't give yourself, you don't get to wrap yourself up in that little blanket of happiness um, and then turn around and go cast a vote that harms us. I, I won't let them off the hook, just me. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Ron Landis and the late Patty Fink. And we'll be back with more with Jessica Gonzalez and Julie Johnson right after this. Hi, this is Candy Markham, and I listen to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. Listen. And this is Lambda Weekly. Our guests are State Representatives Julie Johnson and Jessica Gonzalez. We're just talking about the convention which they chaired and what we're expecting in the upcoming session and how can we prepare for it. Um, okay, so number one, it, the worst of the worst began with the abortion ruling. So we'll try to not rile Patty up as much as we have the last few weeks. Because all we've had to say is, yes, you've been uh, very reticent to speak about it. Well, let's let's start with the marriage issue. Um, also, a feature I think in a, a month or two ago in the in the Advocate, there was a really good article about how Texas plans to purposely have a case go back into the courts. Um, you all are attorneys. What do you think as far as the real likelihood that the Supreme Court would reverse that and what would that mean legally for everybody else who's already married? I mean, I think, you know, given the, the, the opinion from uh, the, the, you know, the road, the, what's it, Dobbs? Dobbs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the, if you look at Clarence, especially like Clarence Thomas, what, what, you know, what he wrote, and you look at um, 
the way that we've gotten our unenumerated rights through the you know the equal protection clause it's very very dangerous because that's I mean the the, the words that they use are the keywords right the legal ease um, that is used to you know to, to to, uh, for them to rule in that way, right? To make it a, an unenumerated right. Mm -hmm. um, and so, we, you know, and right after uh, the multiple sessions ended last year, we saw that uh, Representative White, who is who's not serving another, another term after this, but um, he sent a letter to the AG requesting an opinion as to whether Texas needs, can, re you know, has to recognize marriage equality. And so, you know, we already knew right then, right, that that, that was going to be uh, the next fight. And we also know that Texas Republicans don't care about passing laws that are unconstitutional. Right, you know, and I think the other thing is legally, it's very similar to what uh, the Supreme Court did with the abortion in Dobbs. I, I would expect that if it made it there, it would not surprise me at all if they overturned Obergefell. Although it's really interesting because, you know, Roberts voted for Obergefell. I mean, he was in the majority opinion. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what will happen, but it'll, it basically will re would remove that off the books, revert back to state law, and states that allowed uh, gay marriage would still be in play, and states that outlawed gay marriage would outlaw it. And so it would revert back to Texas. It does make a very conundrum of, of a legal um, quandary, though, for all the marriages that have been in place while they have been open. I don't, I, I think it would, it we would stun me recently. as a lawyer uh, to just, by the stroke of a pen, render all of those marriage agreements and licenses null and void. I mean, the state has issued a license right. relied upon by the parties from the state. Um, and then there's also that whole legal concept of recognizing contracts from other states. And, right. you know, all, all of that goes on with that. So... Um, because yeah. if you remember when California, this is before the marriage equality ruling on the Supreme Court level, California, they had been doing marriages, then that got overturned, but the marriages that had taken place before, they left those intact. So yeah, I, I don't think they'll be happy with that this time. No, of course not. Of course not. Okay, so I have a, an idea for a lawsuit on that. Since I'm a widow, I was legally married, Brian's not here to defend himself, so I want my marriage kept intact because he can't sue. Would that hold up? That doesn't make sense to me legally. Well, it doesn't make sense to overturn a marriage of somebody who's no longer alive. Right. Well, your marriage doesn't exist because it's, it's, it, you're, no, you're no longer married to him because he's deceased. That, by definition, terminated your marriage. Ah, okay. So that terminates me. I thought we had a, a little <laughs> a little end in there. Um, but at, so this week, the, the U.S. House of Representatives passed the Respect for Marriage Act. Um, and with a little, with, a with little 47 Republicans yeah. voting for it. Um, I, might, I haven't read the bill. I don't know if it, um, what implications it might have for state law, but certainly the federal government, and they officially repealed DOMA. Well, if the federal government passes <coughs> a federal marriage law, it rule, it, it governs. The, pro the thing is, is that, you know, we achieve marriage equality through the judicial process, not through the legislative process. Right. And that's the argument that the justices are making, is that it needs to have gone through the, ju the legislative process 
not the judicial process. Now, we have the judicial branch for a reason, um, and they've rendered significant opinions in the course of our history um, that have been uh, relied upon um, as legal authority, especially a lot of the discrimination and the racial segregation and all, a lot of those kinds of opinions. The, the thing that's so startling about the Dobbs opinion, it's the first time ever, ever, the Supreme Court rolled back rights. That's never been done before. And then such a lame, right. lame and excuse, so to speak. So the solution to that is having a federal abortion bill, having federal the Equality Act, this Respect for Marriage Act. And the fact that I was very comforted by the fact that the Republican leadership took a hands-off approach and let the members vote. And when they did that, 47 Republicans voted for the bill. I'm hoping that that will happen in the Senate as well. But, you know, the thing about this issue that is so important, I think is really interesting, is the business community. You know, uh, Texas Competes is, is an organization here in Texas that has done amazing work organizing the business community. And the business community has come in and really fought in the legislatures how the bathroom bills submitted, but we don't see the business community rallying about gun safety. We don't see the business community rallying for abortion access and women's health, but by God, they're there in the LGBT community, which is great. And so that's a different shift, maybe because Tim Cook, head of the one of the largest companies in the world, Apple, is a gay man. You know, maybe they... A white gay man. You know, so they're, they're on board, but... It's, um, it's so that the fact that we have the business community standing sh shoulder to shoulder with the LGBT community changes the political landscape of our issues, whereas women, we don't have that. So, so I saw this morning on uh, Jonathan Capehart's show, um, Congresswoman um, Sharice Davids, who is an alum of the show. Yes, she was um, a congresswoman from Kansas. Um, she she was expressing great optimism that the the Respect for Marriage Act would then pass in the Senate. Um, I don't think they're going to schedule a vote before the August break, um, but I I think it's quite possible. When you look, I mean, I I always refer to the the Rob Portman theory of moral relativism. You know, like he would vote against us on in brutal votes, and then oh, my son's gay. Okay. Suddenly, it affects me personally. I'm going to change my whole tune. Right. And um, and so certainly, I think we can count on Rob Portman's vote. Um, but I think there are a number of Republicans that could add up to ten. Oh, in the Senate? Yeah. yeah. I they, think it's quite possible. Right. They all have gay staffers. We know that much. <laughs> I mean, gay staffers are everywhere in Washington. <laughs> Well, was, let's hope that they have some influence, some continuing influence after the break when they, when they come back and vote on this. Because I, I think it would be fabulous if we could just put this to bed, so to speak, and be protected. I, I read a little of the, the language, and it also includes a protection for interracial marriages also. But, you know, it, even if you know, it does get passed, we're in Texas. Right, and so it, it, I, I could very well see them trying to challenge that oh, yeah. um, later. Right, so it's it's still going to be a fight, nonetheless. Um, let, let's go to the abortion law that you people passed. Wouldn't us be against it? Don't don't be putting that on us people. <laughs> Jessica and I were both solid no votes on the abortion bills. So. Um, the bill has a very odd enforcement mechanism. And that's that if I were to say 
that I helped somebody get an abortion by, say, driving them to another state or funding them to fly to another state. Uh, if somebody wanted to, because I said that I had done this, they could sue me for $10,000. How is that legal? Somebody who has absolutely no standing, standing whatsoever. And who's paying the $10,000? Is it the? It's it's like a it's, it's a remedy that's it, it's codified. It's a codified remedy, right? But but typically, right, you have to be the one that that is hurt, right? That has suffered some kind of damage for you to to bring a civil lawsuit. Um, so I don't. I mean, do you do you recall how they created that standing, or has it? Oh yeah, they, I mean, they just gave standing. You know, standing in the code. Um, yeah, I mean, they just put it in the bill that you have the right and the standing to bring suit. I mean, obviously. Uh, it defies the notion, the, a long historical jurisprudence line of what standing means. Um, and it just ignores it completely. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it's a vigilante justice is what it is. Mm -hmm. And it's just unconscionable. And you, it incentivizes people to <coughs> stalk, harm, intimidate, which was their goal. Mm -hmm. You know, their goal is to, was, is to do that. And they're going to try to do something similar in Texas. You know, I would imagine that one of their goals is to overturn gay marriage and have some same, same kind of a bounty for anybody that tries to perform a gay wedding or whatever else. This, I mean, this is stunts, though. They want to tell us what books we can read, what teachers can say in class about history. They want to uh, basically ignore the lived experience, experiences and histories of non-white kids in schools. Um, and, and they even want to stop women from leaving the state. It's like it's not enough that you don't have an abortion here in Texas, but they want to control you they're going to want to control women who might leave the state. I mean, if I drive, get in my car now and I drive to Oklahoma or I drive to New Mexico, I'd rather drive to New Mexico, um, and I cross the border, I mean, is there going to be somebody there at every highway to stop and say, hey, you know, are you pregnant? Well, Nanya. Nanya <laughs> on anything. Right. You know, and I don't understand how they can get away with that, and yet Texas isn't the only state talking about trying to do that. I mean, this is this yeah. is above and beyond. This is not about life. This is way past being about. It's life. about control. Yeah, it's, it's about, about fascism. I mean, that's getting into fascism. Mm -hmm. Not getting into. It is. <laughs> We're already there. We're already here. But that's they don't. So long. But they don't want to be told what to do, right? Oh, I don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to get you know. And and so it's it's only when it's convenient for them that they you know want to be like hands off, right? Less government. Less right. control. Okay, so going back to uh, somebody suing me for $10,000 because I had said that I sent Patty to New York to get an abortion. And so for my participating in her abortion, I'm being sued. If I can prove that I didn't do it, is there a mechanism in the bill for me to sue him back? No, that's one of the problems. There's no... Uh there's no uh, retribution for your recovery of your attorney's fees if you prevail. Oh, and they get attorney's fees if they win, but you don't if you win. That's insane. Oh, yeah. And typically you bankrupt somebody. We thought about that. It was just the, the hypocrisy of it is, is, again, which flies in the face of all <coughs> traditional jurisprudence. Typically, when attorney's fees are a recoverable element of damage, it goes to the prevailing party, right. period. Right. Um, 
and but not in this case. So suppose the prevailing party, if you're the one challenging whether somebody had an abortion or not. Well, well, suppose I, it's this. You know, I'm you know I'm 60 now. I'm not going to have a kid. What if Laurent says I just want to sue Patty for trying to have an abortion or or for helping somebody, and they can't prove it. See, Laurent wants to see you to too. Bankrupt me. They still get to bankrupt me. Yeah. And there's no recourse. I mean, this is this is a way you could just take out your your business enemies, your political enemies, the neighbor you think you know uh, plays their music too loud. I mean, whatever. Well, I mean, they can. I just hope everybody. Yeah. And the, go ahead. But, but there were some people. I mean, that that right. Oh, I need some money. Right. I'm short on some cash. I'm just gonna. You know, go see somebody and try to get me ten thousand dollars. You know, and we so we've already saw that happen. We saw hotlines pop up so you can call in to report people. Um, so they're just trying to scare scare people. So there actually have been some of these suits filed already. I remember reading some articles uh, shortly. I mean, after it when it came, you know, became law, um, and there was one of, of a gentleman. I think he was he might have been out of Houston or something. Um, that that was his basis for filing a lawsuit. Do you know where was the case dismissed? Did it go anywhere? I, I didn't follow it after that. Oh, okay, okay. So the the uh, Supreme Court in the Dobbs decision didn't, at least as far as I know, didn't really address the, the what Texas is doing as far as the, you know suing somebody who aided and abetted an abortion. Do you all know if there is any challenge? Will there be any legal challenges? At least. Uh, specifically that portion of the law? Oh yeah, the ACLU is filing some lawsuits in Lambda. I think there's, there's, um, I mean, other women's health groups, um, I've, that, that legal challenge is in the process. I think the general consensus though is with the current makeup of the Supreme Court is probably not likely to succeed. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that it would um, go through the Fifth Circuit, which is also a very difficult place. Yeah, it is. Mm. Well, it's a grim place to be. I've well, heard more people talk about leaving Texas Literally, they need to stay here and vote yes. first. You know, the, the number one thing, the number one message, if you're listening out there, if you're listening, that means you care. And you have to vote up and down the ballot. You can't just vote for Beto and walk out. You have to vote for every Democrat on the ballot. You have to renew your commitment to vote in November. Make sure your registration is current. Go vote in person. Do not mail your ballot. Early vote starts October 24th. You can vote anywhere in Dallas County. Bring your ID. If you're not registered, you have until October 11th to get registered. But we have to vote. The thing, that's the, the thing that is startling to me the most <coughs> is in 2020, 50.3% of registered voters in Texas voted. That's it? That's it in the state. 47% of the people who are registered to vote did not vote in 2020. Wow. And then how many people are not registered? That's like 7 million people. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> and then, so then, but you factor it up, and then Dallas County, our statewide voter turn, our countywide voter turnout was 62%. Ouch. So 500,000 registered voters just here in Dallas County, did not vote in 2020. Do you know how many votes by Bet that Beto lost by in 2018? 
200,000. If Beto O'Rourke had been governor in 2018, we would not be sitting here talking about this ridiculous abortion bill. We would not be sitting here talking about our kids getting shot up in schools. We would not be talking here about fearing that our quality of life, that our, gay mar our, our rights to exist as we know it would be reversed because we would have a different leadership in government. So people need to vote. They need to vote for the Democrats, every one of them, up and down the ballot. And of course, we don't endorse here at Lambda Weekly. Yeah. <laughs> and on KNON, I just wanted to make that clear. <laughs> Sorry. We do make a call to action. Oh, don't apologize. Yeah, don't apologize. I'm not apologizing. It's just my, it's my singular mission in life over the next 100 days. Is to get everyone to vote. That's right. Vote. So, so tell us, this, tell us, Julie, your story about um, about getting coffee and your oh uh, yeah. your voter registration card. So I was at a restaurant and my server, I was waiting to meet somebody. And my server brings me some coffee and I say, and it's very nice young woman. By the way, are you registered to vote? And sheepishly, no. I said, well, would you like to be? Because your generation is going to make the difference. You you have the most to lose. I'm almost I'm on the latter half of my life. You're just getting started, and you know it, what happens affects you more than it affects me. <clears throat> we need you to vote. She goes, you know, I think I'd like that. So I have voter registration cards out in my car. I'll bring you one. Okay. So I went out and got one, gave it to her, and about ten minutes later, the restaurant manager comes up to me. Are you the woman, wait, are you the woman who gave my employee a voter registration card? Oh, yes, I am. I get all puffed up. I'm ready for a thing. Ready to throw down. And she goes, well, do you happen to have any more? Because the rest of the kitchen staff would like to get registered, too. Oh, that is awesome. You know, I'm like, yes, I do. So I went out and got some more. And I just think that's, that's what we have to do. You know, it takes one-on-one. -on -one. People, um, there's... The two main obstacles of why people don't vote, there's lots of reasons, but these are the two biggest ones, is that one, they don't know how to vote, Just They don't know what ID to bring. Must, sometimes they might be first generation voters. They don't know where to go. They don't know how to operate the machines. They don't want to be put into a position where they are not going to know what to do, and people don't like doing things that they don't know how to do. And the second one is they don't know who to vote for. You know, an example of that is I took my boys to vote for the Democratic runoff, gave them a list of the statewide, the people in the runoffs that I wanted them to vote for. And we, they, I forgot like a JP race. And they both got so angry with me because they were put into a position of having to vote and they didn't know who to vote for. They were just livid. Oh, wow. And it really highlighted for me that we have to do a better job in our vernacular. We can't just tell people to go vote, because that doesn't tell anybody what to do. We have to tell them to go vote for every Democrat. That tells them what to do. <laughs> we need to take a break. You're listening to Lambda <laughs> Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Lauren Landis and the late Patty Fink. And our guests are state representatives Jessica Gonzalez and uh, Julie Johnson, who just admitted that she's very old. We'll be back with more right after this. This is Jason Wright from Dallas, and I listen to Lambda Weekly 89.3 KNON. 
And this is Lambda Weekly, and we're talking to Jessica Gonzalez and Julie Johnson, both state representatives and both founders of the LGBT caucus that is about to grow in November. That's the good news. The bad news is some of the legislation that's going to be thrown at them that they're going to have to defend. Um, one of the bills that I saw proposed, well, not the bill, but the idea is to make it illegal to force an insurance company to include preventive medi medicine from uh, coverage, which what they're targeting is PrEP. Is it specific to HIV? Because the, uh, the Affordable Care Act um, is pretty clear on preventive They care. don't care about the Affordable Care Act. And this would be despite the Affordable Care Act. Had you heard anything about that one? No. Okay, well, get ready for that one. Sounds like it'll pass, and then it'll be back in the, in, in the course. No, well, federal law preempts <laughs> that, to Patty's point. Yeah. And the thing about health insurance in Texas is that 87% of health plans are covered by federal law, not state. Hmm. So, yeah. so that will protect a, a number of people. Um, one of the other things that, uh, you know, one of the ridiculous things that's been going on is trying to criminalize librarians because librarians are some of the most radical people that I know. People go into <laughs> the profession of becoming a librarian because they really want to be out there. They're being put in such a precarious position. Is there anything that can be done to protect the profession? I mean, I and think a lot of that is, is just local, right? I mean, that who they hire, um, or who, who quits, you know, or what have you. But the thing is that there's not a specific guideline on, on how they need to, you know, pull these books out or, you know, whatever. Um, and so, you know, we, we saw the same thing even with uh, poll workers, right, that, that have been quitting their jobs across the state because, right, it's unclear, they're scared, and they can't just do their job. Yeah, I mean, li librarian staff is up to each school district. People vote. Again, back to voting. I know that. But they vote on their school boards. Mm -hmm. School boards make those policies. They make those decisions about teachers, librarian staff, other school district staff. So the school board is ultimately accountable for what happens to the librarians and the, the qualifications and the roles and responsibilities and whether or not librarians are going to pull books, include books, and those are that's all done at the superintendent and the school board level. And if you don't like what your school board's doing, then vote for different school board people. So those are school libraries. What about public libraries? Are we seeing some of the same, uh, I guess, forcing librarians to pull books because... Like the Dallas don't? Public Library, for yeah. example? Um, you know, I haven't... I haven't seen that trend myself. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they tried to do some bill that says if you're going to use taxpayer funds, then you can't include these sorts of books. Um, and so it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if crap like that was coming down next session. And again, it's just going to be about, um, that's, that's another example of why who sits in the legislative seats makes a difference. Mm -hmm. For Pride Month, Tyler's library had a big uh, LGBT display of books. They were on a table. It was clearly marked. You didn't have to go to that table. You could go to the whole rest of the library uh, to look for other books. 
Um, but because of Matt Krause and uh, some other of your compatriots, um, th they decided to pull the books from the library. And that's just one example that I heard somebody wrote to me. It's just insane. And, and at the same time, it's, it's so depressing. Um, I like to think of in terms of voting and um, the, perp the reason we vote and the energy we put into voting is to have a vision of, of what life could be if we, we vote and win. And because when we vote, we win. And I just remember the night that, that um, Barack Obama won the United States presidency and that moment when we knew. It was the night that Julie won her seat. I was just, you know, crazy. It was just the best moment. And I, I think if we think about that and say, okay, let's, let's think about what it would be like when Beto wins or uh, the legislature turns to the House, the Texas House of Representatives turns Democratic or, um, or your local city council member wins. Um, those, are, those are big, big moments. But what's that vision afterward? It's, it's helping people um, get the health insurance they need. It's helping people get housing and affordable housing. It's, it's all of these good things. And from our own perspective as queer people, um, what are the things we could do? We could pass an Equality Act. We could um, you know, protect us in the workplace and protect our families from discrimination and, and get those things done. And I think, I think we have to keep a positive... Um, vision of what what is possible when we win, so that it, it otherwise it gets very depressing. It's like we're not just stopping this a really 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 awful uh, democracy ending tsunami of of hate coming at us, but we have a real opportunity to do things that really affect them in a meaningful way our lives as everyday Texans and Americans, and when we win. And we, when we vote, we win. <laughs> Will you be introducing your Equality Act again? Yes. The, my comprehensive on discrimination bill, yes. And I'll be introducing my Medicaid expansion bill again, too. You know, going back to your point, Julie, about, you know, you know, not only need to know, not only need to vote, but you need to know who to vote for. I mean, we won't, wouldn't be in a position like this. But, you know, I kind of think of, like, going back to, to become the, 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 the slogan now, but her emails. You know, referring to um, the dismissive uh, not voting for Hillary Clinton and that snowball to where we are now. Um, and now there's this notion that Democrats kind of eat, them, eat themselves. And like we have to be like these perfect candidates or we won't support each other. And if there's any credit to give Republicans, they don't do that. What can we, they, they'll, they'll support each other no matter what. They're starting to do it now, though. Well, they're not doing any mass enough to make a difference. You're gone. Well, that's true. That's true. But what can what can Democrats do to change that? Like, you know, we got to stick together. I think it's just, you know, having conversations, making sure that we're not judgmental, but that we don't hold grudges, like over Bernie or Bus, for example, and that whole movement that probably cost Hillary the election. Um, I'm still not over it, but I'm working my way through yeah. it. Oh, I'm, I'm waiting. Um, but, you know, I, it's, it's about, we just, you just have to. You have to grow up and, and realize that 
Democrats, one of the things that's so great about our party is that we represent a lot of different interests. And we have a lot of different people that have different backgrounds. We have the, they always talk about the diversity of our party, which is what makes it so awesome. Um, but one group's issues is not more important than another's. You know, and we just have to recognize that we have to come together to achieve anything. If we stay fractured, it just will never happen. But I mean, I think we just have to be, I mean, very blunt about this with people. Because I mean, I think, you know, we follow it, right? Because um, we're political wonks, right? We just, we, we're, we just do. But a lot of people don't. And so we need to make it, you know, very clear that, hey, we're rolling back rights that we've had for over 50 years. And if we don't do something about that, if we don't at least vote Democrat, right, um, they're going to continue to roll back these rights. And is that really what you want for the future, for your kids, your grandkids? Uh, because that, that, I mean, that's the reality. You know, Democrats actually have a platform. We want to make the lives of people better. Republicans just want to, they just, their, their platform is to, is to attack our platform. I mean, that's, that's it, because they don't have a platform. And so people need to understand that, that, that we have, every, everything is on the line right now. And they, they want to they roll back rights even further, and they're so eager to. Um, and so people need to, I mean, they need to, they need to understand that. Julian, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to go back to what you were saying, Julie, that you're going to reintroduce your Medicare expansion bill. How much is the state losing, no, Medicaid expansion bill? How much is the state losing by not expanding Medicaid? Eleven billion dollars. Eleven billion. Billion with a B. A year. Is that a year? And we're not doing it. What you're t what you're saying uh, th that they just are against everything that we don't that they don't have a platform. That's a good example of them not having a platform. They're not for anything. They're just against it because we're for it. Right. Pretty much. Pretty much. Okay, I just wanted to make that clear. <laughs> you know, I've done this exercise for this is the third cycle I've done this, um, and I'm not quite finished yet with it. Um, but I've taken all the statewide offices um, in the Democratic Party and sort of scored the candidates on diversity, and um, I think it's going to fall pretty much like the other two cycles in the past that I've done, where it looks pretty much like Texas, and we have we have black candidates, brown candidates, Asian candidates, Native American candidates, we have LGBTQ, LGBTQ candidates. Um, we're not white male and white male dominant like the Republican slate is, is pretty much 80% white males. Um, we look like Texas. And so I think it's really like, like say, with the D Texas Demographic Party. <laughs> Because we look like Texas, and so uh, when you when you see someone who looks like you, loves like you, who, who works like you, and all those things in office, um, um, I'm much more comfortable understanding and knowing and feeling secure that I'm being represented than by somebody who looks when, when it's just a, a a big blanket of white men um, running the show. It's um, and I think that's one of the things we have to stress to voters, too, is that we look like Texas. You know, our, our slate of, of Democrats up and down the ballot, right until, and I didn't do local, because in Texas that's 254 counties. I don't, I don't have time to do that. Um, but, you know, good Lord, if, uh, you know, if you, want, if you want to be represented by someone even close to who you are, it's got to be the Democrats. 
yeah. in my view. <clears throat> but David, just you know, to the point you just made a while ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I mean, I've I've filed have filed legislation that's local, local, you know, lo that would only affect House District 104. Um, you know, to address some affordable housing um, issues that that are going, you know, on across my the, my entire district, mm -hmm. and even I can't because there it's like the word affordable housing is like a cuss word, right? To to Republicans, now, I can't even pass um, legislation that is only going to affect my district because they'll vote against it. Because they're against just, affordable yeah, housing. Just because, yeah. <clears throat> even just though it doesn't affect their district at all, it's only only mine. Mm. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Is there a way to word that? It's not about wording, David. It's well, affordable about housing. It's I mean, about, it's about <coughs> Republicans are of this mindset that you either figure it out on your own or you don't figure it out. But it's not our job to care. Hmm. And they don't care if you have an affordable place to live or if, they, or if the government should come in. They don't care if you have health insurance. Go figure out how to make enough money to buy your own health insurance. You know, in talking to these people about Medicaid expansion, they're like, you know, we don't believe in handouts. So, I mean, it's a mindset of, and, and I don't look at health care as a handout at all. Um, and do, so, do they get health insurance paid for them being members of the legislature? Yes. That's a handout. Yeah, they don't see it that way. <laughs> they think it's entitled. It, it, it's yeah. kind of like uh, but Justice Thomas's. Uh, he, he's against same-sex marriage, but all for interracial marriage because huh, might affect him. It's funny how uh, when politics is personalized, how it makes a difference. But you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I know that we're running out of time. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, it's about articulating issues and a, and a vision for what you think our state and our society should be like and obviously uh, I, Jessica and I and our colleagues on the Democratic aisle have a much broader view that welcomes more people and gives everyone the opportunity to fulfill their promise and Republicans don't see it that way and so we're at a we're at a we're at a lead up to a very critical time in our country politically very similar to what Europe was like in the 30s, um, leading up to World War II. And so many of the same parallels are at play. And people need to wake up and uh, care and go vote. Democrat. That's, <laughs> of course, we're not endorsing anybody. But, but you do but, need to vote. <laughs> but good luck in your elections. But, you know, but to that, you know, we, the, we, the old courthouse, um, right off of Zang, I forget what street it, it is, but they're they're building and they're calling it uh, worker housing. And so I think that's like we have to think about creative ways, right, to, to how we communicate that because if you you know you don't think of affordable housing when you think of you know worker housing, right? Mm -hmm. The same the negative because I mean that's how they see it, right? They think of affordable housing, they think of black and brown people, poor people, then they relate that to um, crime. Oh, now we're going to have liquor stores, and you know, and that's how they see it. And so it's like you know the NIMBYs, right? That hey, I don't want I don't want that near me. And so uh, I mean, so it's a challenge. But I think that if you know we use terms like that, worker housing, then you know that could maybe work. So I thought that was a very creative way to do that. Here we are Dallas. completely out of time. Jessica Gonzalez, Julie Johnson. Thank you both. Thank so you, and good yeah, luck in your election. Come back again and again. Thank you so much for having us. It's always a treat to be here. 
Oh, we're going to plug one thing. Can we plug one thing? Oh, sure. Jessica and I are hosting an affordable housing town hall on August mm -hmm. the 22nd with our good friend Carl Sherman and Candace Valenzuela, who is the HUD director for the Southwest region. Uh, it's going to be, we're, we're still working on our location. It's going to be August 22nd. Um, if that issue is important to you, we hope you'll come out and join us.